What is a circular economy? How can I transition into alternative sustainability professions? What impact do my financial investments have for the community? These are just some of the myriad of questions we will answer right here on the Green Fluence Podcast. Hey, I'm Maya Valentin. And I'm this Lingam. We are the co-founders of Greenfluence, and we are on a mission to empower students and professionals to create a positive impact within the sustainability and responsible investing space. We will bring you very deep insights from our talks with young professionals and industry experts who are engaged with ESG, with climate change and impact investing, and also startup founders with innovative ideas. We will also explore the sustainability challenges and opportunities facing governments and companies, as well as communities globally. Our entire world is changing in unimaginable ways, and we all need to step up and address the climate change crisis today. So the question for you is, are, are you, you ready, ready to be a influencer? In this week's episode, we will be talking to Law Legro, Program Manager at Work for Climate and Country Lead and Facilitator at Climate Fresk. Law has had an amazing climate journey and talks about the impact that we can have in creating a better planet. You won't want to miss this episode. Um, Work for Climate is an organisation whose mission is to help businesses achieve their climate and sustainability goals faster by providing individual employees with the inspiration, tools and community to drive ambitious initiatives. Climate Fresk is a workshop where people can learn about the fundamentals of climate change in a fun and collaborative way. Welcome, Law. Yeah, awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, Law, firstly, I want to congratulate you on your Iron Woman. I think that's amazing what you've done. Um, and yeah, I guess looking at your LinkedIn profile, I think the first thing that stood to that I guess stood out to me is your passion for climate change. So, firstly, how did you develop this passion, and how has your background shaped this? Yeah, so I'm a pretty late comer to the climate game. I've only joined this movement um, and seriously dedicated myself to climate change um, for about a year, and before that. I would say I was someone who genuinely cared about sustainability and the state of the planet, but climate change wasn't really on my radar. I didn't see it as a central issue or an issue that would impact me personally. And so I think even though I've always been passionate about protecting the environment, that primarily came from a love of nature and the wildlife and the outdoors. I've always been an, an outdoor person. Um, so I think wanting to pro protect your playground comes naturally with that. But for a very long time, this didn't really have anything to do with climate change. And I think my interest in climate um, also came from just being curious and wanting to get to the bottom of things. So when I was confronted with climate change for the first time, it wasn't something that I could just ignore. So it picked my interest and probably because I could see how big the problem was, um, I immediately thought that this problem was going to require more of my um, attention. 
yeah, so I think it's really interesting to know that you had a love for the outdoors and you're a curious person. So I guess, was there like a light bulb moment or something you saw that made you realize that you want to make a living from this? Because I feel like a lot of people are passionate about the space, but they don't think they can make a living and a career out of this. So I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Um, I don't think I had this one big aha moment. I think I had a few of these light bulbs moment that got me thinking and eventually that built up to the point where I just couldn't ignore that. And I decided to take the leap. But first I would say, it's not so much that I realized I wanted to make a living in climate change, like someone who would follow a passion, but it's more than I realized actually I didn't have much of a choice. So making that decision for me to leave and find a job in climate was a way for me to fix my own cognitive dissonance, which is that feeling of discomfort that you get when you know that your behavior isn't quite aligned with your beliefs and values. And so I couldn't, I just couldn't justify myself working on anything else than, than climate. It got to that point. And, and that's why I decided to leave and, and do this permanently. Um, but to come back on those light bulb moments, I guess there was quite a few of them. So one came when I was at an, a team of site with my previous company. We went to the countryside and it was a beautiful space, like a retreat in the middle of nature. And a lot of the sessions that we did were quite intense and emotional. So it created that space and I was with my team that I knew for a long time so it created a really safe space to be processing new information um, and so one of the first sessions that we did was this workshop on, on climate change and it was that climate fresh workshop and in the space of three hours I learned so much about climate change so that was a big thing but most importantly I learned that I didn't know as much as I thought I did about the problem. And that really hit me. Um, I think that moment was a big realization for me about how little I knew about climate change, even though I thought I was um, passionate about sustainability. Yeah, um, that's a, sorry. Yeah. I had another one of those light bulb moments. Um, and that came when I talked with a friend who was working in, in climate consulting. And we were talking about renewable energy. And I, I remember I would have said something pretty stupid looking back because I was so naive and unknowledgeable about the topic. Um, and I could sense that he was disagreeing with me, but he didn't really try to convince me that I was wrong or to try to make a whole argument about it. It was clearly a conversation that he didn't want to have now and then but he just mentioned a resource that I should check out if I wanted to know more about the topic. Um, and that resource was a two hour interview on a YouTube channel with um, renewable experts talking about the energy transition. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to get back to that video, but when I did, I watched it and I realized that again, there was a lot more to the topic 
of a renewable energy than I thought. And I was only scratching the surface. And so I had those two moments kind of um, close to each other that made me realize that really I needed to educate myself more. And so I started digging more into the topic, which led me to yet another resource. And then suddenly I was fully immersed and there was no turning back. So the more you read, the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know. And that research phase lasted about two months for me, which coincided with the lockdown period. So it was actually a really, really good time to be learning. And at the end of the lockdown, I had learned enough about all those issues, environmental issues, to know that my time and energy would be much better spent working directly on climate rather than try to influence my company to make changes. Yeah, that's amazing. I think, um, I guess I, I guess on your point about there's always things to learn, like I've got a few books behind me that are also to do with the climate and, and finance and that kind of thing. So definitely agree with that. And I think the thing that really stood out for me was how you said you didn't have much of a choice um, because that's something I think of as well. It's like, it's such a huge issue and obviously a career with purpose and doing something for our future is like so important. So I guess like it leads on to the next question. It's like everyone does different things. We come from different educational backgrounds. Um, so why is it important to have different professions who are, I guess, immersed in this? So I think what's the reason why it's so important is because climate change is very much unlike anything else that we've encountered before, in the sense that it's not an isolated issue. It's not an issue that you can give to a bunch of engineers or a bunch of really smart people to figure out on their own. Um, climate change is an everything issue. And so it is going to take the smarts and efforts and dedication of absolutely everyone to solve it. Um, it's such a massive change that we need to achieve in so little time. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize the magnitude of the changes that we need to make. And so I think it's really important with that perspective to bring lots of different skills and, and perspective and throw them at the problem. We know, we roughly know what we need to do to stop climate change um, because we've had scientists looking at the problem for a very, very long time. And to some extent, we know how to do it. But I think the difficult part is going to be how do we piece all of these parts of the solution together and how we put the system in motion. Um, and so that's why I think it's really important to have everyone involved. So we, we're going to need marketers. We're going to need finance people. We're going to need um, people from economics. We're going to need lawyers, like everybody has something to contribute. And that's also what makes it so cool is, in my opinion, um, is that it doesn't really matter what your educational background is or what industry you work in, you can contribute in a meaningful way to climate change and find a way to apply your skills to the problem. And it doesn't have to be the choice that I made to leave the industry that I was in to fully immerse myself in the climate movement. 
um, I could have made the choice of staying within my industry and try to make a change from within. And I think that's a really important path as well. And we need people both inside and outside um, to, to make those changes happen. happen. Wow, you fully encapsulated that, hasn't she, Viz? <laughs> exactly amazing, what yeah. we, our philosophy here as well at Greenpoints is, um, and because sustainability also needs to be sustainable for our economy and to make sure that the private markets and the capital markets are also working towards sustainable, um, you know, green outcomes as well. And so I think what we also wanted to ask you is when we talk about needing to incorporate sustainability in business models, how do you tackle this in your role at Work for Climate? And what is the purpose um, of this organization in achieving these? Yeah, so Work for Climate is a really, really interesting way of tackling the problem. And I think it's trying to do something that not, or I haven't seen this um, tried before. So our goal at Work for Climate is to build a movement of climate influencers within organizations to drive meaningful change on climate. So we are trying to accelerate um, corporate climate action by coaching people to become corporate organizers and change makers. So our theory is that there's lots of people in the corporate world who are getting increasingly concerned about climate change and they want to help, but they don't necessarily know where to start. And these people might be in sustainability roles already, um, but they also might be working in jobs that are not directly linked to sustainability. So what we want to do is take those people and guide them through the steps that it will take for their companies to achieve specific goals that are related to climate change. And we do this by giving them access to tools, communities, and framework. Um, and so right now we provide free playbooks and a cohort program, um, which is the focus of my role within the organization. Um, that cohort program is um, starting in a few weeks and it's gonna be focused on one of our priority goals when it comes to um, what companies should be doing about climate change. And that goal is switching to 100% uh, renewable energy. So in Australia, we are in a country that is heavily reliant on fossil fuels. So one of the most um, impactful and fastest ways for any companies to decarbonize um, is to switch their electricity procurement to 100% renewable. So that's what we're going to be trying to do. Um, but instead of trying to pressure um, companies to make that change, we're going to be trying to find those people that are already inside the organizations and have the power to make that change happen and activate those people in those companies. That's a really good um, point about finding the people, the decision makers inside the company and influencing that structural change. Yeah, because I, I think some people may not realize the power that they have um, and the influence that they can have within the companies. Like um, 
pressure in companies comes from the market, but it also comes from internal employees and, and, and employees want to see their companies taking action on climate, definitely. In conversations like how this and I, we speak about, you know, renewables and we speak about, um, we spoke about Bitcoin and some crypto <laughs> recently <laughs> <laughs> and how to make different processes green. Um, like even our conversations, hopefully we'll be able to spark change through you know going up the ladder in organizations and so from your experience working with various professionals and different industries what do you see are the main barriers for businesses to achieve um, their ESG and sustainability goals and how can individuals like us make a difference Question. I think there's quite a few barriers to businesses achieving their sustainability goals today. So I think the first one is, in my opinion, education. So you can't solve a problem until you properly understand it. And climate change literacy is something that is still very rare in most organizations, even at the highest levels. Um, so if the leaders of an organization don't have a solid grasp on the problem and the risk and the opportunities that climate change presents, um, then the changes of the business to achieve their goals are pretty slim. So I think that's a first, probably first and really important barrier. Um, and sometimes the motivation to learn may not be there just because there's a conflict with the usual incentives that we find in the corporate world. So um, there's a quote um, from someone, I should know the name, but I don't. But they said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's those in conflicts of interest that are interested um, dynamics in, uh, in, uh, in those barriers. Um, I think a second barrier is the fact that very often sustainability still operates in silos in organizations. So sustainability experts have been contained to one department and they have a limited scope and access to resources. And they're often very disconnected from the rest of the organization. Um, so they've been doing amazing work um, but they can't do all of that work by themselves. So I think until we start seeing in organizations climate chief climate officer or sustainability officer roles that have a direct line with the CEO and sustainability being embedded in every role of the organization, then companies won't be in a good position to achieve their um, ESG and, and sustainability goals. Um, and then a third one is the, the, the problem of setting a goal, but not actually having a plan to achieve that goal. And unfortunately, I think that's still very often the case with companies that are setting some vague targets like net zero in 2050, for example. Um, because 2050 still feels very far away in the future when you think of in terms of business, um, it's quite easy to set a target, but they may not have an actual 
plan in the short term to deliver on those targets. And what we really need at the moment is rapid scaled decarbonization. And we need it yesterday, not in 2015. And so a major barrier to achieving those goals is having no short-term action plan to match the long-term intention, um, which I think often ties back to the first two barriers of education and, and resources issue. Um, so one of the things that um, individual employees could do is then you know, upskilling and learning about this area. Yeah, 100%. Um, there's so much that employees can do to influence their organizations, but I think it all starts with educating themselves and, and learning how to read between the lines as well, because it's like it's not like climate change is this um, problem that nobody wants to address these days. Like most companies have some kind of um, stance on it. Um, and there's very few companies that are still in that kind of denial space. Like most companies, they're, they're, they're really proactive. They wanna be doing some good stuff, but it might not be enough. And so it's important for employees to be able to um, decrypt that message and, and and educate themselves, do their homework on how do you read a sustainability report with a lens of challenging what the company is doing and whether the company is doing enough. Um, and so that I think should be a first step in what employees like individual people can do. Um, and the second one is starting, starting the conversation really, um, because I think people might be surprised at how many other people in the organization might be interested in um, bringing up this issue and, and contributing. Um, and, and so the first thing to do is start a conversation. So could be something really casual over coffee, um, just asking your colleagues what they think about the problem and, and what the organization is doing about it. Um, and then starting to organize themselves. So there's been a few really good documented cases about employees taking action um, within their companies. Uh, a really good one is um, what the Amazon employees have been doing to pressure their um, company to start producing their first ever climate plan. And today Amazon is um, giving out that they have a $10 billion plan to address climate change, which, which didn't exist before. And so that all came from the work of a group of employees who started from scratch, um, connected with other people who also wanted to contribute. And that's how it all started. Um, so there's lots of ways to organize. Um, and I've seen examples of groups starting a petition or writing a letter to the CEO or planning a walkout. So it can take very different shapes, but it, it always starts with a good understanding of what the company is doing and an understanding of where you want to take the company and setting that vision and, and then thinking about ways to set your demands once you're clear about what, what is it that you, you want to achieve. Yeah, that's awesome. So I actually looked at a post and someone was saying like, I guess employees should actually ask someone in their company, like a sustainability officer, like, 
what's your path to net zero and how has the IPCC report affected other sort of things? So uh, yeah, I think it's that level of engagement that we need to see. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Mm. Yeah. And we could even do that cross, com cross companies and having that kind of opening dialogue between different offices as well. That'd be very powerful. So that's part of what we're trying to do with Work for Climate is connecting people from different organizations that might be sharing the same challenges um, and making sure that um, they get an opportunity to share their learnings and share their journeys with others. Can we just quickly touch back on that concept of promoting renewable practices? Um, would you be able to demystify that a little bit and um, explain a little bit on how we can actually encourage greater renewable practices within you know ordinary firms let's say a law firm or just an accounting company um, yeah so i should start by caveating that i'm nowhere near being a an expert on on renewable energy so it's been really interesting for me to start on this journey of knowing nothing about a topic and and learning along the way so I, I have a very, very um, generic understanding of that space. Um, but one thing is sure is that it's great to see more and more businesses in Australia starting to embrace renewable energy. And I think, so it's definitely a hot topic, but I think one of the um, kind of myth about renewable energy was that until now it was only accessible to those companies with very large um, scale requirements. And if you're a small business, then you can't get access to renewable energy when it's actually not true at all. Like any, there's, there are some um, incentives and schemes in place um, for every business to be able to access renewable energy. Um, so we see more businesses take that path because, um, because the investment um, is, is a lot easier to, to make and, and the, the, the business case is, is easier to make. It's not just for environmental reasons that you would wanna to switch to renewable these days. It's actually also for just financial and cost savings reasons. Um, the interesting thing that I've learned in a report was that the, the main reason that drove the businesses to invest in renewable energy for those that made that decision was um, the cost savings. And, and when you ask the businesses, what was the main reason that they didn't invest in renewable energy until now is also the cost. And so it seems that they can't both be right. So it needs a little bit of unpacking and really understanding um, the, the business case and what are the costs and the risk and the, um, short-term versus long-term savings that you can make with renewable energy because it might be something like a case of <coughs> sorry um a case of um putting an upfront investment now to be protecting yourself against fluctuating prices in the future so you end up actually saving money in the long term um and so in terms of what we can do to stimulate um, and encourage greater renewable practices, um, I think if we think in terms of us as employees and individuals, again, it comes down to putting more pressure and influencing businesses 
to to take that route by telling them and being vocal about it, um, telling them that we want to see them support more renewable energy. And I think it's not easy because you wouldn't necessarily write to a company and tell them, hey, you need to invest in renewable energy, but that could take the shape of wanting to buy products from companies who have made the switch to 100% renewables or telling your employer that you want them to be investing in, in renewables or, or, or acknowledging that you might be willing to pay more for a product if it was um, produced with renewable energy, for example. Um, we do have a role to play as well as those consumers. And on the topic of COVID-19, Yes, we have to ask, how has COVID-19 shaped the way that firms and employees think about climate change and the environment? I think it's really hard to draw conclusions now, right, because we're technically still in the middle of this crisis. Um, so I guess time will tell. But um, on one hand, I think that COVID-19 has been a pretty humbling experience for humanity as a whole, as we realize that bad things can happen when we try to control nature and all of our technology isn't really effective against the power of nature itself. So I think there's there's a learning there and we can hope that we'll be able to draw some lessons from, from this crisis and apply learnings to our climate change response because in a way those crises are very much connected. Um, I think during the first months of the crisis, there was a lot of discussion about how COVID-19 was an opportunity for a big reset and how we shouldn't continue on that same path and how we should think about ways that we can build back better and see systemic change. And a lot of people were really optimistic at that time. I tend to be a little bit more cynical just looking at the ways that people are thinking about the recovery and rebounds and already kind of being like oh i can't wait for things to go back to normal um so i think there's a big risk of seeing climate action being further delayed in favor of that economic recovery um i guess again time will tell but uh I think the latest forecasts are already projecting that emissions will be higher in 2021 compared to pre-COVID-19 levels. So we have seen um, emissions go down because of COVID-19. Um, and I say because of, it's not thanks to, because it's a very, um, it's very much linked to a crisis. So we can't really see that dip as being sustainable uh, because it wasn't planned. It wasn't something that we were controlling. And again, as soon as we solve COVID-19, then there's a risk of just seeing emissions bouncing back um, to, to the levels that they were before. So I think, again, this is about how we can think about the short-term recovery versus the long-term, because ultimately the, the cost of solving climate change, if we invest today, would, will be much less than, than the cost of um, inact, inaction on, on climate, whether or not um, 
the economic recovery happens um, after COVID-19. Yeah, amazing. I think that's a great point, Lord. Um, I guess what you mentioned about weighing up the short term and the long term, because in the short term, it might be a big investment and might, it might cost the economy more, but in the long term, it'll definitely have a lot of good impact on the environment and society as a whole. And it'll be interesting to see what happens at COP26 with the International Climate Change Agreements and hopefully something good will come out of that, but who knows. So I think like from this, I guess from this interview and from what I've read before, you're very passionate and you're very keen to share knowledge and education as well, which is something I love. And that's what you do at Climate Fresh. So uh, do you mind just telling our listeners and our audience a bit more about your role there and what you do? So Climate Fresh is a non-profit organization as well. Um, and we are focused on the early stage of the climate journey, which is raising awareness on the urgency and magnitude of the problem. So what we're trying to do here is unpack the science of climate change, because the science can be super confusing and overwhelming and frankly, a little boring too sometimes. So very few people have actually read an IPCC report. And I'm not even talking about the whole thing. I'm just talking about the summaries for policymakers, right? It's, it's, it's complicated stuff. So, so what we want to do is make climate science more approachable by making it really easy for anyone to understand the big picture of climate change in a very short amount of time. So when you sign up for a Climate Fresh workshop, um, you'll be given a mission. And that mission is to organize 42 cards in the correct order of cause to consequence. And each of the cards represents one element of the climate system. And you'll be working as a team to create that visual representation of the climate system and connect all the dots. Um, and you won't be alone in that mission. You're actually working as a team and you're guided by an expert facilitator. But the idea is that you learn by doing as opposed to hearing, hearing an expert talk about the topic. So after creating your fresque, which is your visual representation of the climate system, um, you grow through a creative process of adding illustrations and links, which helps retain the information. And then after that, um, we want to leave enough time to have a productive discussion on the solutions and what should be done at different levels. Um, so whether you're thinking at the level of an individual or whether you're thinking about what your company can, should do or what society should do. Um, so Climate Fresk is a mostly volunteer-led organization, and we're relying on the dedication of a large network of facilitators who are people who have participated to a workshop and then have followed another training to become facilitators um, because they're passionate about um, raising awareness on climate and empower others to take action. Um, and my role with Climate Fresk is uh, 
um, reference, a country reference for Australia. So I'm trying to grow our presence um, here in Australia and organize lots of workshops uh, for the general public, but also for um, different types of organizations from companies and nonprofits and um, in the education sector as well. So schools and, and universities are a big um, target audience for Climate Fresk because the young people need to be educated on, on, the, on the climate crisis. Um, and I'm also training other people to become facilitators and spread the word because that's how we've been able to, to grow. Yeah, amazing. I think that's so important because I feel a lot of people, um, one barrier to entry into understanding climate change is the science, right? Like even for me, like I, I found it so confusing and I had to read quite a bit about it. So I think these workshops really help people understand it and how everything's everything's linked together in the whole scheme of things. Um, so I think one thing you mentioned is about the IPCC. So from what I read, the workshops are based on the IPCC findings. So we all know the report came out around a month ago. So would there be any changes to how the workshops run and has there been any impact? Yes, absolutely. Um, so just to very quick refresher on IPCC and what they do. So the IPCC stands for Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and that's the main trusted source of information for everything that is related to climate science. So it's a group of countries that have um, appointed scientists from all over the world um, to produce um, an aggregation of the existing research on climate change. And so it's it's really the gold standard when it comes to information on, on climate change. And so the climate fresh has been built off the back of those really heavy IPCC reports um, that I mentioned were, were very hard to, uh, to, uh, to digest. Um, and so, as you said, the latest reports, um, which was the first report to be released in seven years, uh, was released a couple of months ago. So this is definitely an opportunity for us at Climate Fresk to refresh um, the content of, of the game. Um, there, there's not gonna be any difference in the way that the workshops are run, uh, but the actual data that is on the cards will be updated with the latest information um, of the report. So the, the report came out in August um, and there's a, a team of volunteers who, like we have a, a task force of people who are looking at the reports and seeing how we need to update the cards and the latest version of the cards should be um, released in the next couple of weeks. That's really exciting. I think if there are new cards, then I mean, I, like, I feel that'll make it a lot more engaging as well for future people who, who want to be involved in the program. And I think speaking of the program, so I guess after attending the program, how do individuals, I feel in the sense that how do they keep engaged and what can they do to keep the conversation going about the climate? question and very often what tends to happen after climate fresh is people are super excited and motivated to act so it's a really good opportunity for us to encourage them to take further action um, but one thing that's really important about the climate fresh is is that we don't want to be telling people what to do we don't think we have the solution to climate change because again the solution is going to be very complex and it's going to 
depend on people's levels of understanding and the approach that they want to take. Um, and our theory is that everyone is on their own journey. Um, and often it can be very counterproductive if you tell people what to do. So we want to let everyone explore in their own ways, in their own time and discover how they can contribute. So what we do do is suggest a few actions that people can take and then point them out uh, towards a, a bunch of extra resources that they can use either for learning um, or for action. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, sometimes people can be a little frustrated because they kind of expect us to tell them what to do, but we don't want to be doing that. So what we, what we do is just give them access to, to that information to take that extra step in their climate journey. Yeah, no, it's definitely something to keep an eye out <coughs> because I like, I like, I'm just saying from my point of view, like I have a finance background, so I'm very keen in like the whole ESG and the impact investing space, but I definitely feel like <coughs> understanding what actually happens and the science and all things like that and how it's affecting the planet is definitely something that I think links to all different aspects. And I guess like no matter what background you come from, it's always helpful to understand like why it's happening, why is the planet warming? And I think that's very good. Um, so now we're going to change things a bit. Uh, we're having a speed round of questions. Are you ready, Law, for this? Yeah, sure. So firstly, what are your book recommendations and who are people to follow in this space? Okay, so unfortunately, most of my readings so far have been in French, so I don't have many. But I'm going to quote um, this really, really cool climate scientist who speak a language that everybody can understand. She's got a newsletter called We Can Fix It and a book called Under the Sky We Make. And her name is Kimberly Nicholas. And I highly, highly recommend following her stuff. Um, another one is a climate journalist and um, science writer who is Australian, but is now living overseas. And his name is Ketan Joshi. And I highly recommend following him on Twitter. He's awesome. Um, a, a more kind of common one that people might have already come across, but I think is a super, super important resource is Jonathan Foley from Project Drawdown. And for those that haven't heard of Project Drawdown, it's an amazing project that essentially makes a very comprehensive list of all the climate solutions that exist and how each of them contributes to our emission reduction goals. So it's essentially the roadmap to solve climate change without any um, need for new technology. And Jonathan Foley is the founder of Project Drawdown. He's got a blog um, and he's an amazing uh, person to follow always with lots of articles about what we need to do and those different climate solutions. Um, and then if I may also throw in a podcast here um, because we're in a podcast so i might as well yeah. um there's there's a podcast called how to save a planet and it's really about the solutions and talking about the solutions in a very positive way and i love that podcast so highly recommend that one as well very good and so second speed round would be what advice would you give to your younger self um, career plans, I would give myself the advice of 
not overthinking that career plan because everything that I thought I had in my plan um, is never going to happen. So um, I had this 10-year vision of where I wanted to be and uh, 10 years later, I'm in a totally different space. So trust your gut with your career choices. Everything's going to be fine. Um, and also follow good bosses. Um, this is something that I've actually applied um, to myself in my career, um, in, in all of my decisions, and it turned out pretty well. So if, if you have a good boss and they want to take you somewhere, follow them. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think especially for myself and Maya, um, being quite new to the workforce, I think having a mentor and a, and a really good boss is so important. Um, so the next question is, how do we keep our financial institutions and our governments, I guess, accountable on climate change and sustainability? You show up and you speak up. <laughs> and you find those ways to do that. Um, because you may not feel like you have much power as an individual to be influencing those big financial institutions and governments. But but again, you're, you're one voice. But if, 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 what if everyone was was doing the same thing so sending signals voting you switch your bank you switch your super you redirect your money and and you show up so go to a climate strike or or write to your mp um but but do anything um but make some noise because they will listen eventually hopefully definitely do and so how can how else can can younger people or young professionals be able to encourage their organizations to change its resource use? Um, again, I think it comes down to education and, and, and learning more about the problem so that you're equipped with the right um, tools and information to speak their own language and, and go beyond what they're going to be telling you that they're already doing. So ask your organization to show leadership on the matter um but also be specific in your ask and 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 do your homework of of educating yourself because otherwise it's going to be very easy for your organization to say hey we're doing all of this already we've got this when when i think every organization um could could do with a little bit of a push from 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 young people and employees in general to be doing more because honestly everybody can can do more. Yeah, definitely agree. And the lucky last question. So where can listeners, I guess, go to to learn more information about your organizations and any links or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So if you're interested in the work that we're doing with Work for Climate, uh, it's really easy. You head to workforclimate.org and uh, you we then give you access to a bunch of resources and you can also sign up to receive our um, newsletter and also sign up for our Slack community. Um, that's a community that we're creating, creating on professionals um, who want to join the climate movement. Um, and, and if you're interested in the Climate Fresk, then you can go to climatefresh.org um, and there's going to be some information about some upcoming workshops that we organize in Australia. Um, or you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there or trying to be. So 
Lola Gross on LinkedIn. Um, I always accept invitations if you give me a little note on why you want to be connecting. Um, so, so yeah, I'm pretty responsive there as well. Yeah, that's a, a, I think it's a really good tip. And I think I actually found out about you, Law, when I was on LinkedIn and I saw this post, I think it was about work for climate and how you were, and how you were talking about why that's so important. And um, no, I really found that post really interesting. So I think you post some great content and um, I guess as a whole, like what I've got out of this is that I've really enjoyed our conversation and how passionate you are about this field. And, and I guess like the impact that individuals can make in this field and that shouldn't be underestimated. So I really thank you, Law, and I've really enjoyed this time on here. Yeah, thank you both for your time. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking, driving this initiative. I think it's amazing to see young people creating content because because there's not nearly enough people talking about this. So, so amazing initiative and I'm really glad to be a part of it. Thank you so much. And um, we'll definitely look forward to following the rest of your journey as well. And hopefully we can come back maybe in a couple of you know, months time or in the future and see how far we've both gone. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Great, thanks a lot.